Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. Holly, welcome to the What Difference Doesn't Make podcast. We're a proud member of the Pantheon podcast family. We're celebrating the chaos with a documentary that just came out called Long Live Rock. And we have some special guests today. Who we have? We do. This is so awesome. We have Gary Spivak, who is the producer, Jonathan McHugh, the director, and we have RJ Hale, the drummer from the band Hailstorm. And the film is called Long Live Rock, Celebrate the Chaos. This is so awesome getting to talk about this film. You're going to love this episode. In case you didn't know why you're here today. Remember going to rock festivals? Remember when we went to a rock festival, Holly? Just we went to a rock festival. That might have been one of the last shows we saw. Well, it was the last rock festival I saw. And that's, yeah. I mean, it's fun. There were a lot of bands we never heard of. It was a community because you knew everyone in there were fans of The Cure and Robert Smith was a fan of all these other bands, so we were gonna we were gonna love these bands, and that's kind of what you know rock festivals are. It's uh, it's just a shared community of people who love music and love getting together with people of like minds. We're gonna talk with Jonathan McHugh, the director, Gary Spivak, producer, R.J. Hale, drummer for Hailstorm. Let's get right into it now. Hello. Good morning. Hey, hey. good morning, everybody. Hey, <laughs> good morning. Welcome to hey the guys. morning zoo. Hi. Ding, ding. My God, thank you for having me. <laughs> thank you for being here. It's very nice to see you guys. Thanks for being, I don't, are you all in LA? Or, yeah, this is pretty early. I'm in Santa Monica. Gary's in the Palisade. <laughs> AJ, where are you? I'm in uh, Nashville. Nashville. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not, not that early. Not too bad. Hey, at this point, it's just nice to see anybody. I, I understand. <laughs> I know. <laughs> People. Yeah. RJ was a SoCal boy until recently, though, right? I moved to L.A. in, like, 2012 uh, just because I loved it out there. We made our first two records out there, and uh, I always wanted to live there. So when I got the chance, I was like, this is where I'm going to move to. I'm going to live here. <laughs> and, uh, and I still live there part-time, but now the band is based out of uh, Nashville, so it makes sense that we have everything kind of central located here. Okay, I got it. What was the impetus for this film, and who whose was it? My name is Jonathan, the director of the film, Jonathan McHugh. Gary and I have known each other since we worked with Metallica at Electra Records in the early 90s. Always been a fan of the genre, grew up in the genre. Cut to uh, Gary becoming one of the biggest hard rock festival booker promoters in the country. He was working on a festival in Columbus, Ohio, and uh, I had pitched him on the idea. I said, Gary, you know, the fandom of this community is so interesting, and Gary had been trying to get me to come out to some of these Midwestern festivals for a while and never made it out. He goes, McHugh, we booked Metallica, 10th anniversary of this <laughs> festival. Why don't you come out? And as a matter of fact, why don't we shoot some stuff? And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, come on, man. Well, you wanted to make a movie about the genre, right? I was like, yeah. He goes, well, let's figure it out. And Gary, being a very can-do guy, and me being a very can-do guy, we basically got some crew members together from local. We brought my cinematographer from L.A., and we went to Columbus, and Gary lined up interviews with some heavy hitters, and we shot interviews with them, and then we found, Gary found us some really interesting fans who were really passionate about the genre and met up every year at these festivals. We just shot a sizzle reel, and it was pretty good. There was a lot of great <laughs> stuff there. And so we pitched it to a company that I had been doing, um, directing a documentary about the Comic-Con cosplay culture, the transformative nature of that, of that genre and that, and that fan base, I should say. And so they said, well, what else are you doing? I said, well, I'm, I'm interested in this other fan base, this hard rock fan base, because they're incredibly passionate. And we cut that sizzle reel together, and they gave us a little bit of money. Uh, and then we found some private money, and we just kind of kept rolling, you know, years later. Right, Gary? Many years later. <laughs> it's a village to, to, to put these things on. Yeah, I think it, I, what I wasn't interested in doing was just kind of filming a, a live concert. You know, I, when, when we booked Metallica, 
and we got Lars. And the second big interview we got, not to kind of to to go from first to third gear here, the second big interview we got we got was Chris Cornell. And so we had Lars and Chris Cornell lined mm -hmm. up uh, at our at this festival called Rock on the Range in Columbus, Ohio. And then the the day before we began shooting, Chris passed to his, took his life. And like documentaries do, because they're unscripted, this began a new story arc, mm. um, a big one, into the loss of such an important artist. And then a, a couple months after that, Chester Bennington passed too. So we had to go deep dive into, okay, besides the fandom and the celebration of rock and roll and the live experience, there's another side to this and how music can be a healing force, but also how dependency and depression is so a, a big part of, of music and, and artists and the demons that they, that they face. Fans too, humans. Yeah. Um, and this beloved but often misunderstood genre of hard rock uh, really brings people together. And it really makes this whacked out, dysfunctional, <laughs> beautiful family that, uh, that we all see. I mean, RJ and I have known each other from the time his band played the Jägermeister stage at noon. That's right. In, in 2000, <laughs> um, <laughs> many years ago. Yeah. And um, when we get to it, I've, I have a very funny story, RJ, that I just remembered as I was dialing into this for, for you and I, that was, it, it, and when the time is right to hopefully bring it up on this. Oh, no. Not for public consumption. No. <laughs> yeah. So when, when John and I, you know, started filming and, and got the film crew. And like he said, really just like with scotch tape and glue and, <laughs> and heart and soul, these stories started developing. We started finding this common thread, this theme of family and unity and community uh, that this music and this genre brings together. Actually, that was the words I kept hearing over and over in this film, uh, just describing the fans. It's a tribe, sense of community, party crew, family, respectful these were words that kept popping up in this film. I mean, Holly and I were just talking that it's a, it's a love letter to the fans. Like it, it's, you know, this is, this is something that people look forward to and it, it means the world to them to, you know, not just the music, but the community. Yeah. And I'll jump in, you know, now that I'm older and, uh, you know, as a kid, I went to see Zeppelin. I went to see Kiss. I went to see Black Sabbath. And they were seminal moments for me in my life and my crew that we were rock we were rock kids there was nothing else there was no other kind of music you know there may have been disco but that wasn't our stuff you know and uh and pop music but so growing up as a rock fan you know we would go to these shows and it would be some of the biggest nights of our lives right so cut to you know uh, today in your 40s and 50s and I went to Tulane University and my crew was all grateful dead type people and 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 so we meet up at festivals all across the country, we meet Jazz Fest every year in New Orleans, mm. you know, because we love New Orleans music. And and that is a culture unto itself, you know. And then you take it to this level of fandom where people crowd surf and they mosh and they just let it all out and they headbang. And, and they're off-putting in the sense that their visual is off-putting. Some people don't like tattoos. Some people don't like piercings. Some people don't like long hair. Some people don't like screeching guitars. And so the, the genre gets a bad name. But when you m meet these people and hang with them, they're just like normal right. fucking people like you and me. <laughs> so it's, it's, the, it's also another theme for me is you can't judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's really a fascinating thing to get into all this music and to meet 
people like AJ and Lizzie and hear their stories coming from Red Lion, Pennsylvania. And they were both so great in the film that, you know, you just wanted to shoot more. So, for example, I asked Gary, hey, can we, you know, talk to Bill McGathy and like, you know, they're playing a show uh, with two other female rock bands. Like, why? let me go up to the Warfield and shoot with them. And then and then Lizzie let me come to her record signing at Amoeba and, and you know, interviewed AJ on the bus. And it's like you dive deep with these people and, and it's just it warms your heart that these people are out there every day on the bus playing for these fans and just doing their life is on the road, making music, playing music. And it's, you know, it's everything as a rock fan you want to be around. And as a guy in the business for so many years, it was just really refreshing to get back to it for me. Great. You did put a really nice face on the fan on that community because it does get a bad rap. But I mean, also, uh, you commented about the Amoeba signing. That was what it was Amoeba that was on camera. With Lizzie yeah, and you guys, one of the last record stores in the world. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, geez. It was it was nice to see. It was really great to see the interaction between the band and the fans. Oh yeah, that girl who had saved herself, like in in virgin context, of going to see, to make her first show Hailstorm <laughs> of what Lizzie Hale meant to her, mm-hmm. in a female fronted rock band, and I just kind of was. I mean, I wasn't surprised by it because it, it, in coming of age of kids in music, um, but she picked Lizzie as that idol in a way. And when she got to meet her and I, my camera was there, I was like, I got, you know, chills yeah. because watching that interaction, how cool Lizzie was, how it, the moment meant something. And the fact that you can capture that as a documentarian, you know, it doesn't have to be all, you know, refugees and, and the yeah. emotional nature of things. It's a simple human interaction piece and that's what we caught in that moment yeah. you know? and RJ, do you like doing these do you like the signings and like meet and greets yeah especially at a place like amoeba which uh, i've been to the one in la a bunch of times i've never been to the one in san francisco so that was really cool to get to see that and uh and you're right it is kind of like the the last um the the last of the uh, record stores, you know, it's still standing, and I'm, I'm glad it's still there. We had a scare. We were like, oh, no, I hope Amoeba doesn't go away because it's so cool. But they were so cool, too, because they uh, every time we go and do a signing for Amoeba, they always give us a bunch of store credit to go and get a bunch of records for ourselves. And so that was really cool. Uh, Reason but, alone to do it. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I loved that show in San Francisco, particularly because I feel like we don't play a lot in California. And California is where a lot of great rock and roll music came from. So uh, it, it's cool to see that we were able to play in San Francisco and, and the show was able to sell so well. And you're right, it was a stacked female-fronted rock band lineup. I feel like that's a, I feel like that's a, that's a pretty cool thing that, that has changed about the, the heavier music genres is seeing not only more female-fronted or, fe- or bands with females in them, but also the the fans that come out. You're seeing a lot of, uh, you know, a, a, lo- a lot more female rock fans out there, which is great. When we started, it was us, Flyleaf, and Evanescence. That was pretty much it. And now you got, like, Stitched Up Heart, New Year's Day, Diamante, Sick Puppies with Emma in this moment. And uh, so it's it's great to see that. You're right. It's great to see more more, more representation in, in the genre. Yeah. And, you know, also as a fan for me, I, 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 now that I think about it, like, I was always assuming that this was this genre is primarily the sausage fest where it's all male, (laughs) all white. And so by going to these shows and getting there early and watching the bands that were starting early and and seeing these bands and my wife, who also worked in the festival business, would be like, 
she'd be like call me up and say hey you gotta come over to the stage there's this band called in this moment playing and this woman's amazing she's like a theatrical performer and like my wife i don't want to say hates this music but she doesn't like the hard music you know but yet if there was a female in it she was in it and it's just interesting to see so in the movie when we started to get into it and you meet you know lizzie hale and you met maria and you meet dorothy and you're like and then all of a sudden you see Obviously, you know Tom Morello, but from Fire from the Gods. And, yes, um, I love that band. Thank and, you. And Jason and Steve from Fever 333, and that there's yes. minorities represented in the genre. And it's like, oh, okay, so I can help tell the story that it's not just this. It's also this. Now, it's mostly this, but the fact that right. it's becoming more this is amazing. And so that was something for me as a fan of the genre and – and my also misconceptions, because I hadn't been part of it for so long, but Gary's living it every day. He's booking these bands. He's finding these new bands that are coming in and, and representing different cultures into the game. So that was kind of an awakening for me also, and I'm glad we got to show show some of that. Great point, though, because you're right. Like, bringing people who, who look like them or, or having having artists that look like and represent, like, the, the, the audience is important, you know, because you're right. It, it, is, it is mostly... One thing, and then if you're a different color, different sexual orientation, or different gender, then you're like, okay, nobody, uh, nobody looks like me up there. Like I can't really connect with that, and that's why I, I'm glad you mentioned like Fever 333, Fire from the Gods, all these great rock bands that are that are uh, diversifying rock music, and I think that's vital. I think it's that's really important. Sure. Yeah. One of the nice things about this movie is you you kind of touched on not only women but people of color and, and even the security which never gets uh mentioned in in, uh, in, in a rock festival but it's a huge part of it yeah, dave so that was one of the interesting yeah. one of the most interesting things in the whole thing for me mm-hmm. like get there you're thinking bands fans right and all of a sudden you see how security has to work because the crowd surfing at these midwestern festivals is like nothing you've ever seen <laughs> right and the fact that these guys have this almost ballet routine where one guy is held up by the other guy and the other guy catches and the other guy pushes the feet away so they don't get kicked in the head. Then he turns and he lets the other guy uh, hold the body and the body, they put the body down and they go and do it. <laughs> and as uh, I think it was Noodles from Offspring or one of the guys from Offspring said, you know, it's kind of like this ride at Disneyland. Like these are the guys that get you out of this intense ride after you've been crowd surfing from the back to the front just so you could get a thumbs up from mm-hmm. the rock star hopefully and you've kind of risked your life doing it yeah. you fall on your head you know it's not a good look mm-hmm. so the security guys and then when they gary introduced me to set the head of security and he's like yeah my secret i hire a football team <laughs> offensive line defensive line of these football teams why because they all work together these college football teams in this local market and they all know each other and they have to back each other up and it's just like in, a, in, a, in a, any sort of sport, you have to be working as a team to win. So that thing was eye-opening for me. And I was like, I want to make this a segment. I had no idea how, mm-hmm. um, but we just got great people and they were, and they were wonderful to, uh, to talk to. You captured it really well. The, the football team and the teamwork that it takes, but also just the security in general and how it works. And all I, I could think about at the end was how exhausted they must be just bringing it's down person after person. It's a workout. And, you know, for me as a kid, you think of security like you're you're always at a show where I went to Madison Square Garden. You're always trying to sneak down, get better yeah. seats. You're smoking weed. You know you're bringing in people. You're bringing in your friends to sit in your seats with you. And security was like the adversary. You know you were yeah. like against them. 
Now it's like, oh, this is like a team. They have to work between the bands and the fans to build this connection so there's no bad karma between the barriers, if you will. And that was another really eye-opening thing for me as a, as a fan and a, and a documentarian. I am curious, though, about the fans. How did you find that? You said, uh, Gary, you found the fans. But how did you, I mean, you must have drawn from that, a bigger pool. The story of that is um, they started a MySpace page oh. back in the day. <laughs> mm. And they called them the party crew. And they would contact me and some other people at my company. And they would deliver us T-shirts, really ugly weird colored t-shirts every year uh, with our names on it and it got more elaborate these people instead of you know going to Cancun or Hawaii or bungee jumping or whatever they went to these festivals that was their vacation that was their getaway that's what they spent their hard-working money on and they just let loose and we wanted to explore and you know found one of them nurse by day crowd surfer by night you know police officer by day partier at rock festivals by night you know we we just thought that needs to be explored you know it, it's one thing to to have rj and lizzie and and you know duff and lars and tom morello talk about rock and roll yeah. i think it's another thing to really hear it from the people that are taking out their wallets to go see hailstorm and why dude we'll, we'll have tours where people will go to every single show they're like this is our vacation we're just Pouring right along with yeah. you. We're just driving to every city. And we're like, how do you afford this? And, and there's so many mysteries. Like, what do you do for a living? And how do you <laughs> afford all this? And, and uh, the other thing is uh, the, the cruise, the Shiprock cruise, was, uh, is where people pay top dollar to not only see their bands on a boat, but hang out with them and go to breakfast with them. <laughs> and it's like, that's a whole other level of like the, the most hardcore of hardcore fans right there. I got to ask, was there, is there a little bit of a fishbowl? Is it a little too whacked out? You walk out, walk out of your hotel, your 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 ship deck, and like, hey, dude, you want to play paddle board? You know what? L- long story short, I have heard from a lot of bands before we even did ship rock. A lot of them saying it's a it's a nightmare. It's terrible. Like, oh, we hate it. We can't go anywhere without getting accosted. And then I heard from some of my really good friends. In fact, I I will drop this name. Uh, Lajan from Seven Dust is one of the guys. That sat queue. me down because I was like, we're about to go on ship rocks. Could you please tell, like, prepare me? He's like, dude, every single time I go out of my room and I have a chance to interact with the fans, that is a chance that I get to make their entire life. I get to make that. I get to make them feel so good, and they are they are diehard fans for life. It takes only like sixty seconds, mm-hmm. not even that, right. to, to make a fan for life. And so that really prepared me because I, I heard a lot of fans come up to me and say like, wow, thanks for being. Uh, so cool. I, I ran into some other bands and this, this other guy, and I think he was having a bad day. And I don't know. I, and I was just like, I don't want people talking about me like that to other people. So I went into it nose first. And I was like, let's just, let's just fully commit. It's five days. I'm going to take a selfie with everybody. I'm going to do everything I can to make it a special experience. And, uh, and it actually ended up being so fun and rewarding for me. Like actually going into it with the mission statement of like, I'm going to make this a full, I'm going to make this a full experience for, for these fans. Like they're not only are they going to get to like meet me and say hi, but like, we're going to play games. We're going to do shots. We're going <laughs> to do all kinds of fun stuff. And, uh, and it ended up being a blast. I actually really loved it. All right. We're talking with Gary Spivak, Jonathan McHugh and RJ Hale of Hailstorm, And we are going to take a break and be right back. 
Welcome back to the What Difference Does It Make podcast and our chat about the new documentary, Long Live Rock, Celebrate the Chaos. Can I ask RJ a question? Yes, please. Please. It's an open forum here. <laughs> Does Hailstorm, do you prepare yourself differently when you play in front of 1,500 people or 40,000 people? Or is it like same show? No, it, uh, that's actually a really good question. Maybe it just goes back to like doing it for so many years in front of like, you know, like my sister and I, we, we played shows where it was just like uh, me, her, and the sound guy. And, and well, and, and our bandmates, but like basically the band and like we're playing for the sound guy. And we're, and we didn't care. We were just like, we're just like, we're, hey guys, we're playing a gig. This is so cool. And we never, we really never lost that, you know, like whether we play at, a, at the machine shop or whether we play at a Sonic Temp, uh, you know, uh, at a big festival or, you know, whatever. No, it's, it's the same show. And, and that we've always strived for that. Like we always warm up the same. We always, you know, make sure that we're healthy, we're, we're warmed up, we're stretched, we're, we're good to go out there and, and slay it. And, um, and that's what it takes. Like, you really need to think of every gig as your, as your last gig. You know, like, this, this could be it, you know? And, and yeah. we, I think we've always felt that way because we've been through so many milestones where we're like, oh, man, like, you know, we're, we're going to get dropped tomorrow or our record's going to get shelled. Like, you know, so many... The, the fact that the stars align so well for us, like we don't take it for granted. You know, we, we can't because we've had so many near misses where like our career could have poof, like been gone before anyone even knew who we were. So no, you, you got to put the same effort into every show. Can I get a question now? Is it my turn? <laughs> Always. Please. Um, <laughs> Thank uh, you for raising we, your hand. We have not spoke since you did the cover of the Who classic, Long Live Rock. That's right. There was a drummer on that on that original record named Keith Moon. So, oh, that guy. I want to talk to you about Heck. making that record, how it felt for you. Were you a fan of that song? And oh, by the way, you killed it. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. I actually never heard that Who song until until that request. Uh, I've, I've been a huge Who fan from the beginning, uh, and uh, you know, I was raised on that. I was raised on Keith Moon and John Bonham and all those guys. And that was the first song that we cut when we when we like shook the dust off after 2020 of doing nothing <laughs> and then went in the studio and started, uh, we're like, okay, we're wearing masks. We're in the studio. It's a big studio. We're mm. socially distancing. It's just the four of us and our producer and uh, starting to get back into it, trying to write songs, record songs. And we were like, let's, uh, you know, let's ease back into this. Let's start with this cover. And, uh, and, and basically after not playing for several months and going in the studio and just channeling my inner Keith moon. Like it was, it was really fun. <laughs> and, uh, and it was a really great way to kind of kick off our, our return to the studio to, to write and track songs and stuff. Job. Was, Thank you. 
Thank you for doing that. Amazing. I appreciate that, man. It was a lot of fun. Uh, any you, chance it, to be able to play it, Keith Moon? Today, uh, through Loudwire magazine. The song is now out through Loudwire magazine. So if you want to go. Oh, nice. I was going to say, when will we get to hear it? <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> it's a uh, ripper. It's a total. Have you guys turned this in, this iconic song, into this 2021 modern rock banger? Thanks, man. Oh, very cool. You know, I will tell you, and for those who don't know, he is a badass motherfucking drummer. <laughs> he is vicious. He, and oh, I'm come a drummer. And I've, and I've said... You're <laughs> funny. And, and, okay, uh, that's the third thing I was going to talk to Is this about. the morning zoo? What are you doing here, RJ? What's going on? <laughs> I, I bring my own sound effects. Sorry. Yeah. He does stand-up comedy, everybody. <laughs> we got to get to that in a minute. Um, but... I have told, I've personally told Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins, like, have you watched or seen RJ Hale Hailstorm? Please go see him mm. because I know Dave Grohl will be like, dude, fucking sickest drummer <laughs> around because he's fantastic. He is. Wow. Tommy Lee meets Keith Moon. I, I am very busy at, at festivals and I make a point of seeing Hailstorm every time and I'm side of stage just watching him. Like I have iPhone footage of just him. Like, I'm, I'm oh, just so no, it was fun at the Warfield oh. show, standing on stage. You know where it was intimate. You you couldn't really get close on the on the big festivals, but watching him on the um, on the Warfield stage was really impressive to just be be up close to that shit. So props Thanks, to man. you, young fella. Thank you guys <laughs> not, so much. Not, not to turn this into really the RJ Hale hour, but. Uh, <laughs> But he does stand-up comedy, too, y'all. No. And, well, I was going to say, you're pretty, per you know, usually the drummer hangs back. We we know a lot. They, they hang back. They're on the, more, on, on the quieter side, some. But, uh, I mean, personality-wise, you have a full-on, you have a great voice, too. I mean, I, you have a really nice voice, too. Thank you. Um, so do you. So, thank you. So where can we see you do stand-up? Uh, you know, it's kind of sad. I, I wanted to get into it while we were on uh, break in 2020, like while we were kind of in between uh, writing and recording uh, out here in Nashville because uh, one of my, actually my bass player's neighbor, who's a friend of ours, kind of talked me into uh, doing a, like, a, like a tight five at this uh, <laughs> open mic night at the East Room over here in Nashville. And, uh, and it, was, it was really fun. It was a blast. And uh, I didn't really expect anything from it, but like uh, my guitar player videotaped the whole thing and he sent it to like all these people. And it got to Gary and it got to uh, uh, Danny and, and the whole crew. And they were just like, and now Sonic Temple's doing, um, uh, doing a stand-up stage, which you guys have had the, the great Jim Brewer. <laughs> format which i love jim brewer <laughs> and uh and we were just talking after our show there after when we played uh, uh on the the same night as system of a down and they were like you know next year we should do a you should get up and do a stand-up set i was like <laughs> i will definitely do a stand-up set next time that we're booked for this festival <laughs> you, you have my word i will i'll get up and do it and he does <laughs> i think after doing bad jokes he will do like you'll do your rim shot i do my own rim <laughs> shots <laughs> nice <laughs> the, the more grown worthy the better can I go back, RJ, to when you were a kid? I mean, you you grew up, we mentioned uh, Red Lion, Pennsylvania. I, I looked it up, population 6,300. What? Yep. Where did you go to shows? Where did you go record shopping? What radio station did you listen to? What was, I mean, huh. it's a small town, so you probably, uh, you know, you had probably a small crew of friends. And <laughs> Well, when, when we were, like, really young kids, uh, our parents took us to a lot of festivals. They would, like, we would travel to go see 
like some some of the festivals, you know, festival shows and stuff like that. We saw a lot of cool bands. Where um, what's where was the big city? Oh gosh, I mean, not a lot of cities. There was like a festival that like that set up at like a farm somewhere in like central PA. Yeah. I think North central PA. And it was maybe like an hour drive or something. And we'd go there, we'd go camping and it was like a five day festival or something like that. You know, uh, we, which is like when we go to, uh, to do to play festivals and we see people camping in tents and stuff, we're like, Oh, memories. <laughs> uh, but in, in when we started gigging and playing shows, a lot of times we would, uh, we would just love to go see the other local bands in the community. Like, cause you're right. Like the, the nearest city to us was probably Philadelphia, which was like two hours, and Baltimore was like maybe like an hour and a half. Um, New York was like four hours away, so we didn't really get a chance to to go out to see shows that we weren't already performing, that we weren't already playing at because we were doing a lot of shows. But uh, we really liked the whole local community in Central PA, and I think that um, I think the fact that we started in kind of a small pond really mm-hmm. wasn't a lot of other things going on there, it kind of made it easy for us to build up a following. And that mm. I think was a help, was a huge help with us getting noticed. Where'd you guys play? What, uh... I would play bars and, uh, you know, you know, stuff like that, <laughs> like dive bars and stuff like that. And then, uh, and then we worked, we were working with this producer and we started showcasing in New York and uh, we were like, well, we, we don't have an audience in New York. So what we would do is we would just like rent a van and take a whole bunch of our fan friends that mm-hmm. we had in Pennsylvania and just drive them up to New York. So we'd have like a little bit of a crowd oh, and, uh, and it really helped, you know, it really helped. And uh, people started seeing the numbers that we were raking in in Pennsylvania. Like, Oh wow, these guys are <laughs> playing just this bar, but they're packing out these bars in central PA. Like, you know, it, it really helped us kind of get noticed. Was this like uh, you started out in, is the mid nineties or early, early aughts? What's uh 97 was when we started. I was like, yeah. So, years old, yeah. so it really wasn't social media. What, what were, nope. how'd you, what was your promotion secret? What, uh, how'd you get the word uh, out besides we friends? Would go, <laughs> <laughs> we'd go to Staples or office max and make a, and print up a bunch of really cheap flyers. And we would go to gas stations and grocery stores and like, and put them there. And sometimes we would just secretly like stick them like in the bathroom, like when, when no one was looking and hope that enough people see it before the, the staff like take it down. And like, it was a lot. Yeah, you're right. It, it was a totally different world now. And nowadays newer bands have uh, at their fingertips, like this online way to self-promote. And it's, it's actually really great. It, it's bringing a lot of independence and power to independent artists. I think the disadvantage is that there's so much more competition now because there's so much more traffic. You know, it's kind of the equivalent of like putting a flyer up on a billboard with like, you know, a hundred other flyers, like how is yours going to stand out? And we would try to make them colorful and, you know, try to think of ways. So um, there's more opportunities, but also I think the same, the same principle hasn't changed where like, uh, well, basically, you know, like, like what um, Don Henley said in that Eagles documentary, crap, don't float. You know, Mm -hmm. you still have to be good. It doesn't matter how many shiny objects you have to your advantage. Like if, if the, the core of the, of the music isn't, isn't really, good then it's you know probably not going to do very well you have to back it up yeah so exactly you have to back band. it up yeah. but that and that probably touches on the fest there's still competition when you're playing festivals you, you you're kind of an opening band you're you know i'm sure you're looking at the bill going oh my god we gotta follow these guys or we're yeah. playing at the same time as these guys we gotta you know is it a competition do you feel like it's a battle of the bands when you're up there it's, it's a little bit of a friendly competition especially in the early days now it's it's um like when we go to play a festival, people already know what to expect and we're able to just 
deliver. We, we, we still, we still want to give them a great show, but in the beginning, you're right. It was like, we would, we had no production. We were playing in the daytime yeah. and there's no light show. There's no nothing. So we're like, we have to be the production. We have to like exert. We have to be, we have to make the first move as far as exerting energy. The, the crowd is not going to respond unless we start it, you know? And that's always kind of been our, that's always been our, our uh, mission objective every time we go on stage. And it, that really hasn't changed at all. But, uh, but especially in the beginning that you're right, like other bands that would play, we'd be like, oh man, we, we really got to up our game. You know, we, we always felt that way. Like we can't just phone it in. Like we got to up our game. And, and that's kind of stuck with us. That's kind of the cool thing about festivals though. Even when you're, you know, when you're an, an opener, uh, you have, you already have a fan base there that wants to like you. When you go to a festival, you want to like everybody you're going to see, yeah. you know, all the bands you're going to see and maybe get exposed to something new. It, it's it's tough though, like when you're when you're the first band on the bill and it's like eleven a.m. Mm. and <laughs> and people are just starting to walk in. Like we've played the, plenty of those festivals, uh, a lot of especially, and we we relived it several years later when we started doing Europe festivals, and we're like, oh, we're starting all over again. Like nobody knows who we are, and and that just kind of pushes you to want to right. really up your game. Because like I we we really got to make an impression on these people. And, um, and that's what it takes. Uh, we've always kind of had our live show has always kind of been our, our bread and butter. Do you find there's a difference between us and Europe, uh, audiences or, or down in South America or where, you know, I, South America always has like the, the reputation yeah. of an intense, like real intense fans. You're, we're, you're we're exactly right. Yeah. Like in, in different regions of the world, they do react differently, but they're all, they all re they're all special in their own way. One thing I like about, you're right, South America and European festivals is like, when you start the kick drum, everyone starts going like this. Ay, 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 ay. And, uh, and that's really cool, but, um, but not, to, not to take anything away from the U.S. audiences because it's funny to see different crowds in different regions of the world react differently to certain moments in the song or certain moments in the live show. And that's always been interesting to us. I, 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 lo I love all of them. I, I always say festival season is better than Christmas season, you know? <laughs> oh. Yeah, you see so much that energy. in rock. You, you see the, right. that afternoon, the, these fans, they come at, at 11, like RJ said, at noon, and they're with you for 12 hours, mm -hmm. and they, they bring it, too. They, they give it their all. And the energy at two, for a 2 o'clock band is just as intense sometimes as a, you know, as a band at 8 or 9 o'clock. I got to say, as a fan of this documentary, um, I really love the fact that you guys pointed that out and you really took it from the perspective of the fan because that's literally why we, why we wrote the song Freak Like Me because uh, these people are literally freaks to be sleeping in the mud and for like four days straight and then going out, standing on the barricade to see their favorite band for like 10 hours without any food, without any... And I'm just like... These people are superhuman, and I think that has something to do with the fact that we have this natural uh, type of tribalism. It's probably a, a human nature trait, uh, but this is a way that tribalism is actually a good thing. It's, it actually results in a positive thing. These people find their sense of community, their sense of home, but it's, it's in a positive, uplifting uh, type of way. And I think if you're going to get latched on to anything, uh, getting latched on to a, a, a type of of music or a type of or uh, you know going out to see live shows i think there's i think that's a really good thing i'm on the train that's pulling the sick and twisted making the most of the ride before we can't arrest it we're all wasted and we're 
for you to There's also, you know, we talk about the uh, Kevin, the psychologist in the movie, the adolescent, uh, the um, teen psychologist talks about the study that was done in Australia. Um, Basically how this music can basically bind people together and, you know, kids who used to get bullied, um, once they find their tribe, literally is the term used, they are now, the bullies are now afraid of them and it empowers these kids and maybe they put on a Metallica t-shirt or maybe they get a piercing and maybe they let their hair grow, <laughs> but it's all part of being on that team. If that team's looking like that, then you're probably going to want to look like that. And it's kind of an interesting psychological deep uh, dive into, you know, why this is like that. And, and I think Jerry Cantrell gets, has a great quote about the tribalism uh, the tribal nature of it. And Dr. Drew also covers it in the film. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, that's what the movie is. And then back to the fans for a second, you know, Gary got us the party crew and then we'd go back and we'd see this footage. And I was like, wait, is that a woman crowd surfing on top of her husband or a guy? And I was like, how do I get to know these people? And I call up Scott, who was the correction officer for the party crew. I was like, Oh, he goes, Oh yeah, that's uh, Michelle. She's from New Orleans. I'll, I'll connect you with her. And I'm like, okay, great. And then there's the, uh, oh, wait, who's that one legged girl in the wheelchair? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, she was the Abby. star of the film. Yeah. Abby, Abby, right? Abby's the star of the film. And I'm like, get me Abby. So I go to Abby's trailer, Gallatin, Tennessee. <laughs> and it's one of the greatest moments, interviews of my life. You know, you're able to sit down with someone like this. And she tells me, yeah, you know, I lost my fiance in a motorcycle crash where I lost my leg. And then once I got better, I went to the tattoo shop and there was this Harley out front. And then this guy, whose party it was, we fell in love, and now we're together, and we have another kid. I'm like, uh-huh. wow, I can't, I couldn't write this stuff if I was writing the right. script. So, real much why? Why is reality TV so big? Because some of it is so captivating and real right. that you can't write it. And that's part of one of the things why the movie works. Because some of these people are just so fantastic and so passionate about this genre that we were able to capture it, memorialize it, and the timing of it obviously right before put it together before it all shut down. And now we have this incredibly captive, frustrated audience that mm-hmm. they can't go rock. And so we're the closest oh, yeah. thing to being there, which is why we're putting it out now. Yeah. Yeah. One of, actually one of the surprise guests that I, that was in this film is uh, John Kasich, who apparently is a, a Metallica fan. I think, I think I read he got kicked out of a Grateful Dead show. So he, you know, he's, yeah, I mean, he's he, been there. He did, work for, he did work for Nixon. He wrote, actually wrote his letter to Nixon back in the day to get to get into politics and and he started up and he's he's come he's he's on that team but he is a great voice and watching him rip apart Trump on CNN over the last couple of months has been a blessing because one of the only Republican voices with sanity and he you know it was really a touch and go thing to get him and yeah. Gary can talk about getting that interview I was like Gary we've got to get John Kasich like John Kasich's coming to the fucking show we've got to get him so, <laughs> Gary could talk about that because I, I love having him. He's just, he's a real music fan, like legit rock fan. He loves the band Live. He loved the Chili Peppers. And that's, that's why he did it. That's why he wanted because it was a music documentary and it was about rock. So he had, two, he had teenagers who came early to, to the Columbus Festival so they could see the side stage acts. And, and one band they were really into was um, Miss May I. Oh, I love those guys. Yeah. 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 And like, there's John Kasich, side of stage, you know, <laughs> in, in, in wow. the parking lot, watching Miss May I with his kids. 
what you don't expect, man. It's that's the that's the cool thing about uh, the the rock fans, though, is that they're fans of the genre and these bands at the most pure form. They're they're purely just fans because they love it. They're not fans because it's trendy. Because it, rock music is not like the the trendy thing to do, you know. So it's it's genuine. I also like seeing the corrections off it. Was it a warden and the and the Gilkey? Is that the prisoner? Yeah, the correction officer was a great story because Scott was one of the main party crew guys. And I said, hey, Scott, I want to, you know, come where you work. And he's like, okay, cool. And he goes, there's this other guy who was a, an inmate. And he would come in and come out. And then, you know, I'd see him out. And we, I'd see him at a festival. And I was like, I wasn't sure if the guy, you know, wanted to hit me or not. But he's like, hey, can I buy you a beer? And I just really, tell me more, tell me more. And he tells me about Gilkey. And I was like, can we get Gilkey on the phone? And so I got Gilkey on the phone and talked to him. And I said, hey, man, would you would you be up for coming to the place that you were incarcerated and talk? And he's like, well, I don't know, man. You know, I'm not doing that. And, you know, I'm not I'm not going to that place again. I was like, dude, just, you know, walk me through it. And and it, it was really cathartic for him in a way to uh-huh. see where he's come from and talk about his family and how his family saved his life and how this music was his therapy. And guys like that that can turn it around, get out of drugs um, and doing bad stuff, you know, it was really good. And the fact that those guys built up a friendship based on this going to festivals was amazing to me. So, yeah, I, I love that piece of the film also. That's a great story. What's the secret to, to capturing on stage performances or the energy of uh, of the audience? I mean, do you well, just point the camera or where? I'm telling you, like those festivals that Gary runs, are, I've been to a lot of fucking music shows in my life mm. but the, those hard rock festivals man those fans like that whole thing with seth talking about how he you know he was uh he, he captured how many fans came over the barricade and crowd surfing for one five finger song mm. it was like 250 people or something like that <laughs> and we have the footage to to prove it um so I think that, you know, the energy's there. Like, these bands bring right. it. Like, Hailstorm, all these bands, Metallica, I mean, come on. These bands fucking rock. And not only that, they've been doing it for so long, so often, that they're so tight yeah. that it just shows. And the energy is infectious, and the fans feel it, and the fans give the energy back to AJ, and he can comment on that next. But this give and take of energy, if you will, and then, like you said, then there's security, right? And they're in the middle, you know, handling these people off, ending their ride, and it's like, and they're pouring water on people. They're spraying water because it gets really hot up front. And they get pressed to the barricade. And they're pulling people out and letting them go back to go to the bathroom so they don't have to fucking fight through that crowd. Mm-hmm. And it really struck me as this symbiotic thing that Gary and the DWP people are like the ringmasters of. And they got to make it safe and they got to make it great. Another thing that we didn't even cover in the film, sorry to diverge, is what Gary and his people had to do with with the weather. Like, the weather is mm. ridiculous there. Like, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. these, boomer, these boomer storms are, like, off, you know, 20 minutes, half hour, hour from here. Then they have to make the call, do we evacuate? Because if we don't and someone gets hit by lightning, it's a disaster. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And if we do and nothing happens, no rain comes through and no storm comes through, then everybody ridicules them. Mm. And it's like, th- that was a whole other storyline that we couldn't get to because... It just, we had, that was like the same day Chris Cornell died. Gary had to evacuate the place once or twice. So it's in a microcosm, a festival is really interesting that there's so many different moving parts, so many different things, the band's energy, the fans' energy, the promoters, what they have to deal with, security. So I'm glad we got to capture most of it because there's there's a lot to it. 
Gary, I'm guessing you're an adrenaline junkie. Yeah, I love, <laughs> I love control chaos. <laughs> Gary's also a slamming drummer. As long as that's brought up, and you posted a thing on the Left Sets letter about Founds of Wayne, you are a honorary member of Founds of Wayne. Can you uh, tell me that story? Yeah, that's 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 my 15 minutes right there. <laughs> the quick story of Fountains of Wayne was they were doing two radio shows, the HF Festival and the BCN River Rave. Um, and the drummer, Brian, uh, and I was working at Atlantic Records, um, got so loaded in D.C., and I believe, <laughs> and I don't want to bust him, but I believe he hooked up with, like, a, a lady friend. <laughs> what? <laughs> I go. To, uh, I bring the PD of WBCN Oedipus, a Hall of Fame program mm-hmm. director, to the Fountains of Wayne bus to meet, so the band can meet Oedipus like a half hour before they're supposed to go on. And I, I bring them up. Hey guys, this is Oedipus from BCN, and thanks so much for uh, being part of River Rave. And Adam comes to me and goes, "We got a little problem." I'm like, what's up? He's like, "We don't have our drummer here. We." You know, we and Chris, the lead singer, kind of blurts out, yeah, yeah, I think we'll go acoustic today. And Oedipus goes, the fuck you will. <laughs> and I go, here's my here's my shot. I go, because Adam knew that I played, too. Yeah. Um, I go, guys, I could do it. <laughs> That's a total Keith Moon moment right, right there. He's right. like, I could play a lot better than him. Give me a shot. <laughs> yeah. Mountain Wayne's like pocket 4-4, four, four, and I know the songs because I mm-hmm. adore the yeah, and I and, I've, and I, I could do this. It's just you know, just keep keep the serve the song, right, RJ? Um, yeah. So Chris was like, he and he, Chris said in front of Oedipus, is like the record guy playing drums because they're kind of indie darlings, you know. <laughs> That's not cool, man. And Oedipus goes, guys, figure it out, mm-hmm. and he walked off. And and I had and Chris was like, all right, you could play. And Adam's like, yeah, Gary could play. So I did like a they they put on Red Dragon tattoo in the bus, and I air drummed it mm-hmm. for them. Air, the audition. air drummed it. <laughs> oh air my god! I've never even heard this story, by the way. And <laughs> they're like, all right, let's go for it. Fuck it. So I get up on stage with them, and I, you know, this, they had a written out set list back in the day. You know, like. <laughs> like with with black sharpie and it's right there and i i know every song and i'm rocking and it's like five thousand people um side stage people are like <laughs> jumping and moshing i'm like god you know the drummer's doing that mm-hmm. you know, when, when it's moshing that's the drummer's yeah, right um so i think it was during like sink to the bottom or something and i'm like rocking out and i'm like this is happening and adam <laughs> bass player you know does the move like that, that drummer acknowledgement move? Our yeah, yeah. There. And I'm like, oh, he's gonna eye contact me. And he turns around and he goes, slow the fuck down. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, you were raking it, huh? I was speeding a little bit because the adrenaline. The adrenaline, yeah. I, I have a cassette of it, and there's no YouTube. There's no. Nothing. I have one photo and a cassette tape of the performance. <laughs> that is such an amazing story, though. I hope that one goes in your book. It will. That's one for the book. <laughs> but, you know, if it's not posted on social media, then did it really happen? It really happened, right. <laughs> but you're exactly right. That's the, the energy that we get at those festivals, especially when we do those, those uh, festivals that Gary puts on. Uh, the energy is <laughs> incredible, and the tempo can go straight through the roof. And we don't play to a click. Or, or we don't have any tracks or anything like we're we're as raw as it gets. So it's a lot of pressure on me to keep the tempo together. I'm sure that you 
every drummer understands that. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thanks, thanks for letting me share that. Of course. That's an amazing That's a great story. story. Yeah. What a cool story, man. You could retire now and, you know, you'll have that. <laughs> yes, cool for the book. I was backstage after, like an hour or so later, and there was Ed Kowalczyk of Live and, and Mark McGrath of Sugar Ray, and I knew them both. And this reporter comes up to, to us and, like, it's kind of staring at me and I step aside like, Oh, she wants to, you know, she's like, did you play drums with fountains of Wayne? I'm like, yeah. She's like, can I interview you? Like, oh man, this is really embarrassing. Rockstar. So. <laughs> well, welcome to the rock star. Um, star for a day, man. It's fucking fantastic. Yeah. It's like a <laughs> living the I dream. Hear, I really want to hear this tape. That's, that's <laughs> right. try to find it. <laughs> you got to put that out. Nice. Okay, so let me ask you, just as an aside and as a fan, you meant because you mentioned live and you mentioned Ed Kowalczyk. Do you, do you have more material? They're my pretty much my all-time favorite band. Um, did you have more material with them? And have you? I mean, I know they didn't play, but you had a snippet with Ed. Is this Kowalczyk. going on? Is that going on the Blu-ray? Soundbite with Ed, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we did a great interview with Ed, uh, and he was like I said, he uh, he and uh, Kasich have a relationship. And we talked a little bit about that. And, um, yeah, I mean, look, we have enough for another movie. Mm -hmm. We have so much material. Sequel? Um, Stuff we shot, you know, we shot like five, six cameras some days. And, you know, when we got Michelle crowd surfing on top of her husband, you know, she had a GoPro. He had a GoPro. We had Mm. a camera on stage. We had a camera in the crowd. We had a camera up above. And so we could shoot that crowd surfing moment because to me, and I, I really wanted that. And I, one last thing I'll tell about her is like, when I found her in the crowd, Scott got me her number. I reached her on the phone. I was like, hey, I'd like to interview you. Um, <clears throat> she's like, um, I'll tell you what. I'm happy to do an interview if you can help me do a hamster ball fight with my husband. <laughs> you God smacks crying like a bitch. And I was like, wait, you're negotiating with me? She's right. like, yeah, I really want to do that. And I'm like, Gary can we do this? And he's like, yeah, you know, not really. It's a security thing. I said, well, we interviewed security once. We have a tiny bit of relationship with him. Can I go <laughs> to them and say, hey, as a filmmaker, would you just like look the other way for a couple minutes and let these balls roll into the crowd? Because that's all, once that happens, once the balls come down, it's over. And it was so good. We shot the shit out of that. And that was our end of the film. You know, that was our culmination of the film because what better moment is there than to do that right um so it's just it's funny how one experience begets another and one person you know comes up with something that makes your movie fantastic um so it was really a a great collaborative effort team effort to be able to do that um as a matter of fact i had my kids graduation uh, (laughs) from college that weekend i think and gary had to direct that thing as well as doing a festival he had to do that scene no. Controlled chaos, more of it. That's he, that's what he lives on. Yeah, he's an adrenaline junkie. And, uh, <laughs> the other thing I'll say about him is that the day Cornell dies and they have to evacuate, I'm thinking to myself, okay, my producer, he's gone. I'm not going to see this guy at all today because he's got his hands full a little bit. And he's dealing with the National Weather Service and the state and the local mm. government and and uh, find, trying to find a headliner. And he, you know. Didn't drop any balls. It was, it was an amazing character to be able to be in business with. So fun project to work on, shall we no, say. No, but I um, thank you guys for supporting yeah. this love letter to, to rock and roll. 
and I, I hope everybody watching could could download it and experience it like like McHugh said there are no live shows right now maybe this is a great way to help ease that pain go you know turn it up in your home theater system and and enjoy long live rock it's available now and um you can uh, what the, w the website is long live rock movie dot com and uh, you can find it there i think if you probably go on amazon or where where can they find it uh, on the 12th it'll be available um just go through the website and you can pick theaters you know that, like if you want to support certain theaters in your area you can go through them uh to watch the movie and that's called virtual cinema live nice. and then you know that'll run for a couple months and then we'll go up to different streaming platforms like amazon and itunes and maybe others um, that's all being put together right now. But for right now, we wanted to go directly to the fans to be able to just watch it and also support uh, theaters because virtual cinemas, you know, that's like another lost mm. part. You know, going to the movies is something you haven't done in a year, and it's tragic because yeah. I just love that aspect of, you know, much like a live concert when the lights go down and you're commuting. With, you're not really that's commuting right. with other people like in the theater, but it is. there's something special about both the live concert and, and the movie theaters that are just left us behind right now, you know. I think especially right now, though, this movie is like uh, is like uh, concert porn, you know, for people who really miss going. They're like, like, oh, you want to watch Long Live Rock tonight? Yeah, baby, let's watch it. You know? Let us hope, man. Let oh. us yes, that's what it's like. Put that in the put it in your stand up act now. That there that little go. bit you got, yeah. It's a, it's a very good point. It's like no, it's a good point because if you if these are your favorite bands, then you're gonna you know absorb every moment and rewatch. Hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you look at the list, and I had to send a list out to somebody the other day, and I was like, wow, we have 50 of the top rock stars in this genre interviewed in this film. And then the, the many more that didn't make it just because of time or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so you look back at the culmination of the work and how many bands are performing. I think we have 16 songs in the film, um, performance, performance songs or pieces of music. And you know, I think we did a nice job of trying to blend it all together and give people, uh, like AJ said, that bit of experience from from it and, and get to know some people and uh, and get to know some of the bands a little bit better, too. It's phenomenal. It's been a while. So it and it, it was kind of cathartic to see that to, to and you got some great footage just to kind of capture those those moments. So uh, it, it's really worth checking out. I really recommend it. It's it for having me in it, man. Yeah, AJ, thank you for your contribution. It's great. Oh, absolutely. It's so honored to be a part of it. Long live rock. Celebrate the chaos. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> Spectacular. That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I love this movie and I love talking with these guys. Wasn't this this was great? This film really gave us the sense of community. And really this this community, this rock community, I mean, we we have our music that we, you know, the festivals that we've attended, but this is a hard rock community. And it is really, you got the sense of community from watching the film. They did some great interviews, talked to some of the fans in depth and other other associated people. And I just, I hope our listeners will go see this film because it was really fun. It was a lot of fun to, to watch. And it gave you a, a great inside knowledge and better understanding of these people who follow, you know, follow these bands on the festivals. Yeah, it's worth checking out. I, again, go to longliverockmovie.com to uh, find out all the details on where you can see this movie right now. Highly recommend that you check it out. And you get the movie aspect of it where you get the behind some behind the scenes stuff. We got to meet it was fun seeing the meeting the security people and hearing some of their stories and and the fans and 
I, we highly recommend this movie. Yeah. So thanks to Gary Spivak, Jonathan McHugh, and RJ Hale. We hope to see them again further down the road uh, in, in a festival setting. If you want to know anything else, we'll be posting on our uh, website and information on, on our social media pages. Where can you find us, Holly? You can find us on Facebook at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. You can find us on uh, Twitter and Instagram at WDDIM Podcast. And you can also find a lot of stuff and a lot of outtakes and behind the scenes stuff on our YouTube page. So just search for What Difference Does It Make Podcast. Much like what we talked about with the director where there is just so much footage that he could have made another film. I think we talked with these guys so long, we could make a, a whole other YouTube podcast on our talk today. So check out our deleted scenes. We're going to end our podcast with the Satellite City song, Getaway. Okay, so until next time, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.